Hello and welcome. Each week on Music Production Talks, join me, Chris Jacoby, and me, JP Ruggieri, as we skip over teaching you how to make fat beats and record screaming electric guitars. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And instead, we're going to jump straight into having nuanced conversations about producing music that actually says something. If you're a musician that wants to discover how to actually record your songs in a way that you want them to sound, or you're a producer that's looking to hone your skills, or maybe you just want to hear interesting stories from the other side of the glass, so to speak, you are in the right place. All right, let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, this is JP. Real quick before we start today, I want to tell you about an app called Train Your Ears. If you listened to the EQ episode, you heard me talk about Train Your Ears. And it's an app that really helped me to get my ear around the frequency spectrum. So if you're struggling to hear 200 hertz versus, say, 300 or 400 hertz, I highly recommend this app to you. Go to www.trainyourears.com slash MPT, as in Music Production Talks. And if you buy it via that link, we get a small kickback, and we would really appreciate the support. Thanks so much, and on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Music Production Talks, uh, Season 2, Episode 2. Um, as we promised in the first episode, this season is uh, really going to be focused on bringing new people into the show, people that we love, and uh, people who make us want to make music. And that's exactly what we have today. I'm with my co-host, Chris Jacoby. And our special guest today is one of my very good friends um, here in town, Brooke Sutton. Brooke is uh, the head engineer at uh, one of not one of my favorite studios, my favorite studio, uh, the studio Nashville, um, which, as you might guess, is in Nashville (laughs) by the name, and it is a studio. Brooke is the uh, he's 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 the main guy behind all the sounds that you've heard on the last two Wood Brothers records, uh, which is One Drop of Truth and uh, Kingdom in My Mind, uh, which is um, I, I've been a huge Wood Brothers fan since 2006 when they first came out. They've been my favorite band, and Kingdom in My Mind all these years later is probably my favorite record of theirs certainly my favorite sounding one and uh i think that says a lot not only about that band but about brooke as well um and he's on top of all of that he's also a tremendous bass player and i think that is part of what we're going to talk about today is i think what makes brooke so unique from all of the uh other engineers that i've worked with is he's Coming from a musical standpoint of view, he was he he's a bass player first, but he's a total nerd when it comes to sound and uh, everything else that we're nerds about. So it's my pleasure um, to have on the show my very good friend Brooke Sutton. Brooke, welcome! Thanks hey. for being here. Hey, thanks, JP. Thanks, Chris. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, where to start, Chris? <laughs> 
Oh no, my my questions were after. Uh, I guess just tell us, you know, how you got into music, how you got into engineering. Oh man, you know the the. You don't have to start at the cradle, at but the, at the dawn of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I've ever since. Uh, I, I mean. I've been turning records over for my parents, you know, since I was, since I was, you said not to start at the very, very beginning. So no, no, this is good. What is this, age nine <laughs> yeah, no, or something? No, it's true. It's true. I, my first memories of, of any kind of, you know, music, uh, you know, inspiration was turning records over for my folks. And that was, that's still kind of something I love to do. I do it now with my kids. And, um, you know, I, I got into that. I got into music after that because I just was so in, this microphone is sucking. <laughs> we could use a little Viagra on this mic stand here. Let me start that over. Um, no, I I did uh, I did I kind of fell in love with music at an early age, and um, you know I started like everybody who you know is a musician. You you start off with some instrument, and you you know you you fall in love with it, and then you discover other things, and you get into it. But uh, I guess when I was like twelve or thirteen, I had the the fortunate um, I was fortunate enough to go to a high school that had um, kind of a little little recording studio oh cool and um wow and i really got into production then and um i don't know just growing up in new orleans i was just surrounded by music all the time and um it just it has always grown from there it's just something i've always i always knew i wanted to to be in the music industry and sure. do and make music and create yeah. and and be a part of it so yeah that's, awesome. that's the short that's the short version <laughs> Okay, here's my first question. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> I'm gonna do it Larry King style and just make oh, a man. statement. <laughs> SM57s on drums. <laughs> Hi hat. <laughs> I mean, like I've heard that you're using them on the whole kit on this new Chris Casper record, which sounds phenomenal. Uh, oh, SM. I thought you said SM7. Yeah. Uh, oh, I might have. SM57. Yeah. SM57. SM57. <clears throat> Your favorite mi microphone. That's as my you told Desert me. Island microphone. To yeah. be completely honest with the world out there, um, no, no judgments. Uh, no, but seriously, uh, you can hang pictures with it. <laughs> um, you can record drums with it. I I, I firmly believe that um, if you can get away with all dynamic microphones on a drum kit, you know it works really well. And SM seven SM fifty. See, you got me. Yeah, SM fifty sevens are great for that. And, um, they're really just I find them to be really flexible. They don't they don't you you get rid of all the things you don't really want anyway. Right. <laughs> in my opinion. So. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. let let's talk about that for a second. Um, I. For people out there, there's a new record that's going to be coming out this year, 2023, by a great artist named Chris Casper, yep. and it was made um, with four people, which is Brooke, uh, John Ricks, Chris Casper, and myself, and we recorded it live here at the studio at Nashville, um, straight to 16-track, two-inch tape, um, and... There was no computer used during the tracking sessions. Um, when I, 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 I'm so excited about this record. Uh, when Chris was over at my house the other day, I was like, dude, you got to sit down and just hear, hear a track or two of this and know that the drums were completely recorded with 57s. And it started playing, and, and Chris kind of let out a <laughs> and then after like after like the first verse or two he turned around to me and he goes dude brooke's a genius and i was like 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... a strong term. (laughs) No, I mean, it's music, so it's subjective, but I was like, this is, like, perfect. Like, it feels phenomenal musically, and then the sounds, like, they all fit together so well. So what all were you doing on the, you know, the rest of... Yeah, talk, I guess talk, we kind of run. I mean, you don't have to go into every compressor and everything, but like, kind of, what's the general approach? Talk, Everyone in talk the same about room like if, if 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 you're setting up a drum set with all fifty sevens, what's your approach to that? Well, I'm a I'm a really big fan of the f- the fewer the microphones you can use, the better. <clears throat> totally. Um, I don't think of the drum set as a, as individual instruments. To me, it's it's one big instrument. Um, Especially when Jono's playing. Uh, oh, I mean, well, first off, let me just say, yeah. I mean, Jono's he's he's, he's alien. He's alien good. He's yeah. he's he's probably the best uh, drummer I've worked with in the studio ever. Yeah. And um, so I feel really fortunate there. He makes my job a lot easier um, because he plays in such a balanced way. You yeah. Know, he right. He's never. He doesn't hit the the tom harder than he hits anything else at the inappropriate yeah. time. <laughs> so he's, he's that, just like insanely musical. He's he's very very musical. He's yeah. I mean, he's he does it all. Yeah. Um, he's a complete package. But um, I think what really makes uh, what makes it work in terms of the process and like what I what I like to do. I, I really love uh, Glenn, the Glenn Johns method. Mm-hmm. Um, I love utilizing the Glenn Johns method with fifty sevens, especially as overheads, because I feel like it's already cutting all the highs that you don't want. There's not a bunch of low end that you don't want, you know. And using, I use dynamics all around the mic because they kind of react the same way. Right. You know, if I use, you know, 87s on the top and I'm using 57s on, you know, close mic, it's cool and the, the sounds are faster, but the transients are just different. Sure. And so I try to, mm. I, I, find, I find using the same kind of colors around the kit... It's just worked for me. Yeah, um, I like using fewer mics because uh, it's less it's less work on the back end, really. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I just I, I believe mix it mix it in the tracking. Yeah, you know, mix it going right. down. If it sounds good going down, it's it's going to sound right coming back. And I mean, I know you know every good engineer knows that, but um, yeah, I really try to stick. Well, to that. and I feel like a lot of the stuff you guys work on here is very like band in a room sounding like a band it's not this overly wrought like drums in a booth super tight dead 70s thing and overdub yeah yeah i mean there's a place for all that stuff sure, um i you know <clears throat> you asked me earlier about my musical background and you know growing up in new orleans i was really involved in in and still uh, as a bass player very much involved in improvisational music right um uh, you know i love heavy grooves i, I love yeah. improvisation i love spontaneity um, and I feel like if if we if we get too close in, you know, on the instruments, you lose you lose some of those uh, nuances that yeah, comes from sure. the player. And um, yeah, so I like one room recording. I think yeah. there's an excitement and an energy that comes out of that, yeah. um, and it really translates um, in the production, um, especially w- when all the players are are, are really in it and, yeah. and good. You know, not that's not knocking anybody, but that's just. No, it's just your approach. That's just my I approach. Think it's you know, working yeah. great for you. It, so. it it has been. It has been, and I've really, really been into that um, a lot lately. So, what now? The kick drum was the one mic. <laughs> are you're you're using a fifty eight beta on that? Is that the one? <laughs> yeah, the one. And that is bizarre. Which is right. interesting. I would have guessed me. like an RE twenty at know. least or something. Now talk talk to us about the kick drum <clears throat> decision. Well, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the way that it came to me, I you know, 
uh, truthfully, I was looking for an RE20, which is a, a, a real go-to for me on many occasions. I like a large uh, diaphragm dynamic. I think they sound great. Um, <laughs> I couldn't find it, and it was kind of sitting on the talkback uh, stand. So, oh, so I, you had one. It just wasn't I, like you couldn't find it in the studio. I could, yeah. <laughs> I have two of them, but I just couldn't find it. So, so I said, we, you know, we were trying to get going. So I just said, I think I forget who was there, but I said, hand me that mic, and I I grabbed it, and you know, it made sense to me at the time. Um, we were going for some really tight sounds. Yeah. I mean, the, the kick drum was, like, really short. Mm-hmm. Um, so there wasn't much thump out of it. I was like, man, why do I get this thumpy? I don't want to pull the mic too far away. So I used the Beta 58. It's, it's a, I guess it's a hypercardioid right. you know, um, microphone, and you get that proximity effect. So it sure. was jammed up in there pretty good, but, it, I mean, it, 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 it worked. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and it sounds good. And I do, I do, that, on, I do that on a lot of uh, – I mean, I've used 421s. You know, I've used 57s. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the first time I think I really used the Beta 58. And, that. you know, being that it was a, a beta, it, it just kind of had a hype to it that really worked. So yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't th- work on every, it doesn't work on every drum sound, but like a real sure. super tight, you know, like you mentioned, 70s kind of thing, like a taped head kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It, it really does work because yeah. you get that proximity build. Well, and I'm thinking about like, you're, you're from New Orleans and now that I'm kind of thinking about a lot of the music that you guys were, you know, I think about like a meters recording or something. It's got to be all dynamics, you know, like. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the, a lot of those were done in, uh, at Sea Saint, Alan Toussaint's place. And, um, that was one of the first studios I got, I got to, uh, visit as a young, a young man in New Orleans and, and actually did some tracking there and, and, um, it was just a really cool studio. That studio was really interesting because they had a drum booth and everything was the drum. <laughs> the drum booth was wild. It was like it was like this hut style booth with shag carpet everywhere, oh, and there were like you know like a Muscle Shoals thing. You know, it's like everything's nailed down, and like there's right. you know there's mics on goosenecks hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and, you know, I love that. Bricks holding things in place, and it was completely super, homemade. Completely, yeah. yeah completely. A lot of soul, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. it was weed. Oh man, it's shag carpet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Can't get it out. <laughs> it had this. It had the funk. It was really yeah. definitely a dirty place. <laughs> but not talking about the music. Oh, we're talking but, about like it was legitimately dirty. Not healthy. It was not a healthy environment. Um, <laughs> could use a HEPA filter. It, the console had so much grease on it from people's hands. It was really it was really inspiring though and it was cool yeah. and um I wouldn't say that that's what inspires my drum sounds now, but I remember that and I remember thinking, boy, all those records sound so amazing yeah. and there's just no length. In, yeah, yeah. In the drum sounds, and and yeah. um, or the bass sounds for that matter. Right. Everything's very to the point, yeah. so to speak. And I guess kind of a generalization, but like, Jono can play quite a bit of subdivisions. You know. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the song, of course. But like, when you're dealing with that, I feel like. Like, yeah, 58 on the kick drum. It's like all you need. You're not going for this big, boomy, lengthy, mm. you know. Yeah. Uh, and especially in, in, in the Wood Brothers lineup, um, there's a lot going on yeah. with all three musicians. And, um, you know, I was talking to him the other day, and, you know, his sound choices are based, you know, on how that works. And, sure. you know, if it, because there's so much going on, if it gets... If it gets too tight, then it's too much because you can't focus on anything. So there's like this balance of like a wash yeah. versus, uh, you know, uh, 
tight rhythmic pattern. And of course, right. he also plays the shitar too, and that that has a whole other thing to it. So. Yeah, Jono's very one thing I've I've learned a lot from him over the years. But <laughs> one thing that I keep learning from him is is how conscious he is of the shape of sounds yeah. in, within a, a track and balancing those out like he's always thinking about that and um that's something i never really thought about before i started to you to know him and work with him and it's it's can you elaborate on that a little more yeah sure well like you know the other day when we were finishing chris's record um there was a track and we got sounds for it and we did a take and we went and listened to it and um i so I'm trying to remember i if i could remember right uh jana was playing uh something that was more uh, like on like focused on the ride and brooke was playing longer notes and so there there was kind of this um this feeling of longer sounds sure. and I went in to the control room and was listening to my guitar sound, which at the time I was playing, uh, an old jazz master into, um, I forget the amp, but I had a fuzz pedal on it and I was like, that's not working for me. It just felt like it was not sticking out in the track because, it, you know, when, as soon as you put a fuzz pedal on it, that's going to extend because it compresses the sound so much right. that, then, that, that then the sounds get longer. And um, and so, you know, John and I were talking about it and he was he was like, and it didn't occur like that. That idea didn't occur to me in those words I, I just had this feeling in my stomach i was like this isn't right and then Jono mm -hmm. said to me he was like yeah like you know brooke and i are playing kind of like longer sounds i was and he was like i wonder if you did something that was like a tighter sound sure and i was like oh yeah that makes sense and then i was like all right what's what's like the shittiest guitar in this place <laughs> and lots of them <laughs> Brooke, Brooke was like oh there's tons of them. so uh oliver's got this old uh, ho uh holiday guitar which i think is um some kind of a harmony model or something um it's got gold flow pickups i've never seen another one so i have no it's idea. so cool um so the reason i was looking for a quote-unquote shitty guitar is because they generally have very low sustain right it's more about the transient and it's more uh, about just the uh, initial sound, and so I turned off all the pedals and just went straight into. At that point, I remember I went into my uh, my uh, pro my uh, projector amp, mm -hmm. and I cranked it up, and um, that's the sound that ended up working. Right. Um, was just this kind of short thing. As soon as soon as I switched to that, it was like everything came together, and it was just like, oh, okay, this is really simple now. That's a great. Was, tip i mean like we, we were talking the other day about like always thinking about in relation to the vocal what are you playing totally and like as a bass player like i've i remember learning early on like if they're on the hi-hat you need to play shorter if they're on the ride play longer which you know isn't always true but like a general guideline but that's i'm gonna keep that in my back pocket cool. as yeah. a, i i remember like that's right you're a bass player mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> right yeah. on yeah. all engineers <laughs> right producer type <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, somebody's got to run the sound at the live shows. Yeah, and <laughs> and somebody doesn't get a monitor. At somebody the live has show. to load the truck, right? Right. <laughs> doesn't want to talk to the fans afterwards. I'll go load the that's, truck. That's so funny that you say that because on tour with Seth, 
Reese's. It's always Reese, right? <laughs> and he kills it every time. It's like, you know, yeah, um, I love Reese. He's a great he's bass great. player and a great uh, dude. I really like him a lot. No, but he's but, great. But you know, what I was going to say to that um, to that point. You know, at, speaking now as a bass player, you know, well, first off, I wanted to back up and say, you know, you were talking about Jono and, and his approach, and you know, we're talking about drums and we're talking about that, and I, you know, when when we're recording. Um, I mean, I have a, a I have a great relationship with John, and we work really well together in the studio. Um, but I don't I don't think of him as a, a as a drummer when even when he's like laying down a drum track. He he doesn't. I don't feel like he's thinking that way either. He's no. always thinking, you know, past that. Mm-hmm. And I like to do that too in in my production style. It's like I'm never really thinking about how is this sounding right now. I want to know what it's going to sound like later. The end of the track, yeah. The, at the end of the at, sure. the at the at the end of the mix, like what is this going to do? And uh, I feel like I feel like that's one of the things that I've learned a lot from working with him as well, and and um, have kind of brought that into my own style of doing things. But you were talking about picking sounds and picking all these things, and like as a bass player, like how to groove, you know, with different sounds and as a guitar player what's inspiring and and um i remember talking with george porter who's a hero of mine um i was just a kid i didn't know what i was doing i asked mm-hmm. him i said man how do you like what is it like what's the magic like what do mm-hmm. you how do you get those deep grooves and like it's so funky and so cool and and he's like well brooke you know uh if, if the drummer plays a lot I play a little. Right. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah. he plays a little, I play a lot. You know, and I was like, I try to keep that in mind nowadays, you know, and it's like, okay, so what's so happening? Simple. Yeah. What's yeah. really happening? And that's the that's the symbiosis, um, I think that happens. That's yeah. really cool when, when bands are really paying attention. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um I don't want to disrupt the flow of this great talk we're having, but I um we we Brooke had this great idea at the start of the show to set up three microphones. And before we get too carried away, I think we should do this because it's a cool idea. Okay. I want to give a quick shout out to, uh, is it American Microphone Productions or Products? Products. American Microphone Products. Music. I think it's American Music Products. American Music Products. Yeah. Uh, Amp. That makes sense. Amp. Amp. Yeah. Uh, If we got it wrong... No, Apologies. it's on the mic. <laughs> it's uh, it's on the mic, yeah. Um, what's and they're offering ten percent off. Any? It's, no, I'm just kidding. These these are these are these are special. These are really special microphones to me. Um, uh, our friend, and you know, you know, yeah. Preston as well. But Preston Tate White. Um, he was he's, he's an, kind of he's a, a genius. He's a genius. Yeah, I mean, he, he's insane. He makes some of the the best microphones I've ever used, and I've used everything. Yeah. Um, so I choose his microphones because of the quality and the build and, and yeah. everything. Um, but so, anyway, yeah, so, that's so, his company. Yeah, so. so we're using three of his microphones right now. I'm talking into his version of uh, U47. Brooke is talking into his version of an M49. And Chris is talking into his version of a U67, and now we're going to play musical chairs because <laughs> we're nerds, and we're going to rotate and uh, we going and, and clockwise continue. or counterclockwise. Let's go. Let's, uh, let's maybe 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 let's random. Okay, I'm going that way. That okay. seems right. easier to me. All right, so who's on who's on what now? Okay, so I'm on the M49. Brooks on the U67, Hello. and Jacoby is on the U47. So. Um, all right, I want to get into something that is near and dear to my heart. Uh-oh. Uh, one of my favorite tracks of 
I, I don't even know how long. I'm obsessed with this track, and I have been since the moment I Dude, heard it. It should be a drinking game on this show. Every time you bring up this track or the Wood Brothers, people got to take a shot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, it's a little early, but I mean, you yeah. know, I think it is that game. But anyway. Uh, the opening track on Kingdom in My Mind, yeah. uh, Alabaster, is, I mean, that whole record sounds great, but that track in particular is noticeably... Like if you're really listening to the record, there's just something totally different about it, and um, it's it's just the greatest sounding track. I uh, one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Oh wow! And uh, I want to talk about it. How you got those sounds? What that process was like? What the hell went on during the recording <laughs> of that song? It's magical. <laughs> it was a really magical moment. Um, as as it, it it was it was really funny. All right, so here's the backstory. We had just moved into this space, um, and you know those sessions didn't start off as like, okay, let's go make a record session. And uh, we were really just kind of trying out all the gear. And and uh, literally, they, you know, we had been building gobos and setting the room up and doing wiring and all this stuff. And um, they they wanted to come in and just make some noise. You know, it was like time to break the room in and um they set up over here in the corner and they just you know everybody's clapping and banging on stuff and what sounds good where and and everything and so we all kind of settled on this one corner of the room and um i'm frantically trying to finish the patch bay because <laughs> i'm still punching down uh, you know wires i'm still soldering and literally that day like i'm i'm like so close like they're going to make noise and i i always want to put something live on you know a live mic in front of them while they're while they're going right. um because you just i mean they're so good and you just never know what you're going to get and and um well you, you it, it's just part of the, the spontaneity of the whole thing and and so i <laughs> literally punched down the last wire and i ran out here i had a, i had a, a a ribbon mic um and that drum sound that you heard, those first three no, or first two hits in the in the yeah. whole track is it's one microphone. Actually, that whole drum track, I believe, is is one or two mics. What's the mic um, that you it was actually on? a Fathead? Oh my god! <laughs> uh, where did you have it? I can't give away all my secrets. <laughs> no, actually, it was out in front. It was really, really a, a really simple process. I mean, I, you know, I. As I do, I put my head down and was listening to him play while they were jamming, and I was like, "This sounds like a good spot." And um, you know, it's kind of like uh, a couple of feet off the off the front side of the the the, the drum set, um, kind of faced towards the snare shell. Mm -hmm. And um, that was it. That was all I had time for. So we did that, and it was just one of those little happy things that happened. Right. I mean, honestly, that that whole record, uh, it, it was all just kind of freewheeling and in the moment. And A lot of it was uh, improvised, right? The whole record, really. They didn't come in with with songs. I think maybe one or maybe one or two songs came in like that. But I mean, mostly, you know, they just they were just trying things and they were doing things that they probably never would have done had they, you know, gone through a long writing process and in in pre production stage. It all happened at the same time, which I love that because yeah, for I mean, sure, that's so much fun. Yeah, of course, and exciting and dangerous and, and not precious. It, I mean, yeah, we were just we just went for it, and uh, and that that of course went to tape, 
You know, we right. did we did that all to tape, but that that whole drum sound on that on that track in particular from a cascade it, is a, is a is a ribbon mic. It's That's one mic. Crazy. But I I will say, you know, you love the way that 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 album sounds. I have to shout out to Trina Shoemaker. Yeah, because she killed it on she, that mix. She's always been an inspiration to me, and and uh, I've known her. Too, yeah. I've known her since the very beginning you, when I started. You guys did a internship together, is that right? We interned at the same studio under the same engineer, uh, David Farrell. David what Fer- studio? Uh, Ultrasonic. Ultrasonic. Um, in New Orleans. In, in New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and she did a lot of things with a lot of other folks, and. Um, and I did too. We, you know, our paths didn't necessarily uh, cross all these years, but they have now with the Wood Brothers and, and a few other projects. But um, I mean, she's a big part she's of that. In, she's insanely good. She's so good. She's and great. I, you know, I learn a lot from her just listening to her mixes and, yeah. and talks oh, and yeah. things like that. Totally. And, um, it's fun. It's really. It's it's a. It's amazing. It's fun. Yeah. Um. Wh- so when they were improvising that stuff, because. A lot of those songs, like, you know, there's, there's like, were they improvising with the song forms in mind? Just like, no, or did I they, it was did just, they piece it, it together it, or? It came together, it was pieced together and it was, you know, a lot of grooving okay. and jamming and, um, you know, just in a lot of just going for it and trying things that, you know, that they probably wouldn't have tried before. Yeah. You know, uh, in a, in a, in a tracking mode, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and then uh, you know Chris. Chris is so good, and he has such a musical mind. They all do. I mean, yeah, all three of them I are know. just yeah. brilliant, in my opinion. And um, they just everybody just put it together. And and Chris did a lot of editing, which was really cool because oh. he was. I mean, he constructed a lot of things. Yeah, that was gonna be my next question. Did yeah. you take those and chop them up and turn them into song forms? That that is what happened. Some some of it we did together. A lot of it was done by the guys by listening to the jams and and working that stuff and and mm. and writing in it's a different way of of putting a record together. Yeah. It it sounds. It, I mean, you could tell like it's not the same approach. Not, it's not other, a, it was not a traditional yeah. way of doing things, and and um, I I like the non-traditional way of doing things yeah. all the time, and it, it's it's way more um, inspiring, and it's it's just you know it's a lot to keep up with when you're in the moment doing it, um, but it's super creative and it's fun, and it, and it's you know you you go home at the end of the at the end of the day tired, but you're you're kind of um, how do I say? Uh, you you just rejuvenated and you kind yeah. of validated in a lot Fulfilled. of ways. This is why I'm doing this. This yeah, is yeah. great. You know, I mean, that's not knocking traditional sessions. I do those too, but yeah. um, that was particularly that record was was uh, it's a special one. It was. It's definitely well. They're all special. Yeah. Um, yeah. But with those guys, that was definitely a, uh, a special moment for sure. What What about that track was done differently than the other tracks on the the record in terms of how you approached recording it? Like when you got to the other songs, were things mic'd up? in a more, uh, like, were there more mics on the drum set or... or? Yeah, it changed. I mean, okay. uh, it, the, the, that whole album was recorded in many different ways. I, I'd be lying if I said I remembered exactly how we did everything, but, um, you know, we, at the time, we were using a modified Soundcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably, that and the, the JH24, probably the two most consistent things yeah. in the process. Okay. Um, again, you know, I used a lot of dynamic microphones, uh-huh. a lot of mechanical motors and, and things like that. Um, lots of ribbons and lots of dynamics. Um, 
What so. was going on on the uh, other instruments on that track in terms of miking, if you remember? Um, yeah, I think for Oliver's guitar, we used uh, we used a ribbon. I have a, a like a custom double ribbon. Um, from, the Willow, from the Willow, mm-hmm. Willow River mics, and yep. um, it's a great mic. That was really cool, Chris. I th- I don't remember on that track if we used the. I think we may have overdubbed the upright on that one. But during at the time, I think everyone was in the same room, mm. and we did a, we did some baffling. Um, I have this old basement, sixty one basement. He was jamming through that, and we just made. Is he playing electric on that track? Uh, no, that's up, that's on upright. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. Which we I believe we overdubbed later. It could be. Yeah, honestly, I don't remember. Mm. I'm old. My brain doesn't work as well as it well, used to. You do a lot long, of sessions. That was so. a long time ago, and you've done a lot of sessions. We've done a lot of sessions. Since but JP's just going to keep asking you until you remember. So. <laughs> I mean, even after the show's over, this is going to go on for years. For, for the rest, the rest, for the, for the, the rest, rest of our, of our lives. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm going to be on my deathbed and be like, "Wait, call Brooke real quick before I, I, I flatline." You no, know, <laughs> I, I love ner- I love nerding out on all these talks. Um, and I love talking. I, you know, gear is fun to talk about and process is fun, but I always have to give it back to the musicians because, yeah. you know, that's where it all comes from. And totally. I, I, f- I feel like my job is uh, all the time, 90% of the time, is to just kind of get out of the way and have mm-hmm. the gear out of the way. And I don't necessarily mean physically. I just mean we shouldn't fuss I, about it. No, no fussing about it. I mean, I fuss about it internally, but um, I never want the musicians to feel like they're having to to fight with the gear to make a sound or or to be inspired by something that they're hearing back you know to me it's like that should be it should all kind of line up together with what's happening and working with a band like the wood brothers they're so good at that yeah and so and so flexible um that i've that's been great yeah so kudos to the wood brothers for being so awesome um Let's do musical chairs one more time. Oh, here we go. And uh, I got one more thing that I think we should we should we should bring up. So we're gonna switch mics okay. for the last time. Sure. Here we go. All right. I'm going to the. Is this working, guys? It's great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish man, you people could see this. Uh, I'm not. Well, how tall are you? I'm like five nine, I think. Yeah, I'm five nine. <laughs> we put the and five then nine. There's I'm JP. And then there's JP. Bringing that average up. Yeah. I'm gonna put the five nine setting on this microphone stand. Hang on. For those who haven't met me in person, uh, I always get teased about how I'm a giant. You know, <laughs> we're doing a lot of talking about the Wood Brothers. One of the things I really love seeing is whenever Oliver walks into the studio. How he looks it's short. So, finally, somebody who's taller than Oliver. It's <laughs> <laughs> <This is> funny. <laughs> he's, a, he's a tall man. I do a lot of hugging in the studio, and every time I hug JP, I feel like I gotta, I'm reaching up. Right. It's like Daddy. Big Bird. Yeah, <laughs> I just want him to put his put his wings over me. Know, right? <laughs> or every time I see you, I want to go, how's the weather up there? Yeah, I, I've yeah. never heard that one. Oh, you haven't? That's a good one. All right, I'll start doing that then. Um, all right, so. Hang on a sec. I'm not comfortable. Get comfortable, because we're about to get into it. Oh, this one needs fire. Not messing around here. It's about to become a therapy session. It's not an interview. There's a lot of that. Tell us your deepest fears. Deep thoughts by (laughs) Jack Handy. Um, All right. So. uh, You have to lower that microphone, JP. Is it too high? It's going to drive me crazy. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> Hang on. How's that looking? We don't want to mic your nasal cavity. We, we want to mic your uh, we want a full balance sound from chest to how's that chest to palate. All right, looks great. Good, <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, oh shoot, mine's too high too. Hold on, hold oh, on. Oh god, like, that's right at my totally nose. Your eyeballs sound when great. Three nerds get together, and we both have pretty nasally. I places. have to say, I, I haven't gotten up in the morning and had a good nerdy conversation in a long time. That's oh, fun, fun, right? It's oh, fun. That's I what could, we love about I knew this. Show. I knew this was going to be fun. I'm ready to do. I'm ready to do it now. Can we start? Yeah. Over? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I first okay. got to the studio, so. Uh, yesterday was the final day for the Chris Casper sessions. Um, it was the one day that I was not able to make it. Uh, unfortunately, um, fortunately, all my all my parts were done, and they were doing vocal uh, harmonies mostly. Um, but there was uh, when I walked into the studio today, uh, Brooke was telling me there was a real uh, aha moment, which I think is worth nerding out with especially because we're just saying how gear you know don't let gear get in the way and all that that's totally true there's the other side of it of like you know when you start getting really into things and it's it's good to know uh the different sounds of different tools that you have um talk to me about what you were saying earlier let's get into that okay yeah well well first off i can't wait until people hear the chris this new chris totally Casper it's record. great I, I'm, I love chris's music yeah um, you used the word fearless. I totally agree with that. Um, totally and, fearless. You know, the ability to, to get in the room and create freely yeah. uh, with his music is a really special thing. Um, and we've had two sessions now. And the first session, well, both sessions that, we, that we've done, we've rec- were recorded the same way. The monitoring was done differently. And, and um, we haven't mixed these, this last session that we did, but... We went back and we listened to the stuff that we did in session one, which the process, we, we decided, you know, I had just gotten the 16-track the up and running and calibrated and everything was that popping. Was th- that was the first session with the 16-track. That was our first session with, you know, before it was a 24-track setup, which also sounds great. I love, I love the MCI machine. It's really quick on the punch and everything is great. And when it's sounding right, it's, yeah. to me, it, it's a... It's the shit. It's, yeah, it's the shit. Um... Then we put the 16 track heads on, and then it became even more of the shit. Um, because yeah, it, it, it was so much more hi fi. Yeah. And by, by that, I mean the things jumped out the way that you kind of expect them to in front of you. Yeah. You know? Um, one, one thing I just want to yeah. hit the pause button for two seconds because for people who don't know, <clears throat> um, so two inch tape. Uh, there's a certain amount of physical width on the tape for uh, uh, audio to get printed on. Generally, 24 tracks or 16 tracks are too common. Is is that the only two? Are there There is a two-inch eight-track. I I didn't know that. Yeah, there is. Um, It's a lot of space. It's a lot of space. So basically, 24 tracks, uh, in those two inches of tape, the the audio that's getting printed to the tape gets uh, evenly divided throughout the two inches of tape Correct. 24 times. And so each track gets a small amount of space. When you go down to 16 track, each track gets more space to be printed onto the tape. The more space you have, the, the better the sound quality. So I, I, I had done a few sessions on that 24 track. Yeah. And I we knew did, th- we did your session. We did your record on that twenty-four track. As a matter, actually, of fact. we didn't. We that didn't? that was before 
that no, that session was done to Pro Tools, but we did Jared's to that. There's my memory. Jared Dickinson's record is to 24 track. I think we did another one too. But I knew the sound of that machine fairly well. And what Brooke did was he converted the tape machines on that same machine to 16 tracks. So nothing else had changed on the machine except for the heads. Right. And when I heard the difference from the 24 to the 16 track, like I was, I was kind of blown away by how different it was and how great it was. I remember going in to hear the first playback and just being like, that's that sound that I've been looking for my entire life. There it is. It was so satisfying. Anyways, I just wanted to explain that to people and, yeah, right, let's no, let's let's continue. I love I love hearing that. I geek out on that all the time too. It you know, it, it just makes it easier. That to me is the equivalent of getting the gear out of the way of, yeah. the, of the music. Right. You know, right, right. When you come back, when you come back in the control room and you listen back like that, and you go, oh, whoo, yeah, it sounds great. It already yeah. sounds like a record. It already you know? yeah. sounds like a record. Yeah. And um, you know. Um, what the hell were we talking so about? So we were again? talking about the differences between the fir- the uh, two sessions, the, f- the first Chris Casper oh, oh, right, right. yeah, Chris Casper, the Chris Casper record, right? Of course. Um, yeah. So this we had this moment um, yesterday, as a matter of fact, because um, we just we just finished the track, we just finished the record yesterday um, for Chris and um, tracking or everything? tracking. And we've okay. actually mixed most of it, and this is where the story comes in. Um, we decided to. When we tracked the first session, the computer never came on. Everything was done, all the monitoring, all the uh, all the tracking was done through the console and the tape machine. And we had two effects units. One was a, a real tape delay, and it was your space echo. Mm-hmm. And then uh, our verb was a, a Lexicon PCM70, basically set year? on a short plate. Yeah. Um, and that was it. That, that's all we used. And then the EQ came from the console. Um, there was a little bit of outboard compression, um, but not much, actually. Uh, I, try, mm. I try not to, unless we're going for a sound, I try not to do too much of that. But the aha moment was that uh, this second session that we did, we monitored um, and we're doing rough mixes in the box. We tracked it the same way. We tracked it with the console. We tracked it with the tape machine. Everything there is the same. And it sounds great. Um, However, when compared to the mixes that we did, and, and to explain how we did the mixes for the first session, it was four of us. I don't have automation on my, my Harrison, but uh, by the way, this was all recorded through a Harrison uh, 950 straight into an MCI GH24 with 16 track heads. To me, that's like, it, it's, a, it's an amazing sound. But um, we mixed that hands-on, every, everybody hands-on, yeah. and, uh, you know... Everybody got a, a job. Yep. Uh, I think JP had you had guitar job. Yeah. I think I had vocal job. John had drum job and, and bass job, and um, the mixes came out great. And so we were just kind of curious to how, how to finish the session. We had been monitoring through Pro Tools. It's like, well, it already really sounds great. Maybe we should just, you know, run it back to the console, but maybe set all the faders at, zero, at Unity and and uh, you know get the sound that way. Well. We played them back to back, and you just, it just, there was a big difference. So, okay, so you're playing back your mix out of Pro Tools yeah. versus what? Versus straight from the tape 
to the board into the, into mixing the board. on the board oh versus and just mi- and just hearing like so what were you printing that mix to or we you print, were just well we print we printed the 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 console mixes that we did in the first session straight into pro tools like okay that was the that was the, we you know we had a bus compressor and all that stuff and we did do that so i started setting up the in the box i started setting up these sessions that we did after i transferred to mix okay kind of in the box in the same uh in a similar fashion you know and i think most engineers know this but a lot of folks don't there was just such a difference in the way uh in the depth of the music the space the the clarity um and really the dimension it it was really more about dimension than anything else yeah and the leveling is different the transients speak so much differently right you know when you're running through a a hardware piece versus a, a modeled piece yeah sure right and i don't get me wrong i'm not knocking um pro tools or or, damn it uh i'm not knocking pro tools or anything like that um it's just it's it's just there's a noticeable difference difference, period and and so yeah at the end of the day we decided well we're gonna have to mix this the same way um that we did the first session not because we couldn't make not because we can't make the in the box stuff sound great and it will uh but I don't know that you I can. Mi- I don't know that I can mix this record any other way, just because it 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 deserves it deserves that treatment. And you know, the, to me, the biggest difference is it's a difference between an algorithm and electric, you know, and power and, and electricity. And you know, a real filter does things, you know, electrically, not in an algorithmic way. Right. I mean, the plugins we have today are um, incredible they're and they're great, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you just you can't. I'm sorry. You just cannot recreate. You can't recreate that sound. The, right. The, the music doesn't translate the same way. Yeah. And I hope that you n- n- never can too. Like I, I don't ever want that to go away because part of the thing that I always say when, uh, you know, some 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 people get very worked up about the the, you know, digital versus analog thing. It's like I my my view on it is always like. Both of them sound great. the the main The main difference for me is not even you know the sound aside. Like when we did that first session it's, it's with no computer, yeah. it, it was it's the most glorious experience ever. Like there's, it's just better for me working in the analog domain and in, in the way that it feels and the way that it makes me feel and. And that translates to the music that comes out of my hands. It, I, it's just, I, it's so much fun to do it analog with no computer. <laughs> it's I, just way better. I, I totally agree with that. And, I, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, do you like tape better or, or, or you know, Pro Tools better or, or, you know, the computer better? And the fact of the matter is I, I, don't, I don't like them any more or less. Yeah. You know, I came up, I started on tape. And then moved into the digital realm very quickly. This was back in the early '90s, but I think the thing that really makes the biggest difference between working that way, the way those first sessions were done, and many sessions that I've done here now, it's really the mindset and the workflow. You know, we have so many options with the computer, and they're great options. Like it's amazing what you can do. Um, you know, now and now you can even rebalance mixes you know, with software that pulls it apart and breaks it down. And that's pretty cool. Um, and, and handy in, in the right situation, but in the creation mode and in that zone, when you're really, uh, you know, 
trying to make things happen in those early moments, I think having the screen off and like you, the three of us are sitting here, we're looking at each other in the eyes and we're talking about, you know, some pretty nerdy stuff, but, yeah. <laughs> but fun, but it's fun to talk about. It's not fun to talk to somebody while they're looking at a screen. It's not fun to talk to somebody. It, it, this is all my opinion, of course. It's mm-hmm. not fun to talk to somebody about music when you're not looking at each other. We're not really sharing the moment as much because we're trying to look at that waveform. But, but if you cut this one, yeah, yeah, see it right there? There it is. Yeah, yeah. No, take that. Put it over there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, no, nudge it this way. Yeah. No, nudge it that way. Are we talking about music? Or yeah. Are we talking about an editing process? It's right. like assembly or something. It's assembling, yeah. right? And and to me, you know, I I got into I got into uh, into production as a as a performing musician. I'm a musician first. Um, I just happen to be pretty good at engineering, um, and it's developed over time through my experiences as a as a musician, and. When we're on stage, we do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking. Yeah, totally. You know, we may not be physically speaking sometimes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but but we're talking. And I think that that I think that experiences like you just described feel that way because when we all go back into the control room and there's nothing to look at except each other, we're not talking again. Yeah, and, and we're talking about music and we're talking about, you know, is okay. Let's go back. Listen to the A section again. Does that does that moment happen when I play this thing? Or, you know, you and, and Jono were working on an overdub part for Chris, and it wasn't it wasn't like oh yeah I can fix this just move this do that it was mm-hmm. like no 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 try playing it like this yeah you know oh oh if I do that it's it's cooler you know these conversations happen in in pre production and things like that but why shouldn't they happen during the tracking process yeah right and so that's a long winded way of saying I like process of recording to tape much better totally than the process of of recording in the box with playlists and editing capabilities that you don't have with tape yeah i i feel like the music comes across better i feel like as as people when we leave that day we're tired but we're not exhausted and we're not yeah. worn out. It's I, like you're you're tired the same, but you're not drained. You, you know? No, we're drained of the right things. We're yeah, drained, yeah. We're drained of, the, of, of the of the of the creativity. Not even really drained, but we've we've given that part of it. It's a different part of our brain. It's a it's a different. It comes from a different place, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, at least from where I'm sitting in the control room, you know, um, especially when I'm working with musicians. Um, it's a lot easier for an engineer to relate to the music with a musician by talking about it rather than showing them on the computer screen, well, look, I can do this and I can tune this and I can do that. That wears people out. Like, unless you're just really into that, and that's cool, but I, at least the work that I do here, uh, you know, a, a majority of it, we try to keep it in that realm. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. awesome. And I've noticed, I think you're wearing like blue blocker glasses is that is that what they are they the other ones that kind of change when you go outside i have i have some others that do change but uh yeah i don't like the screen yeah i mean it's just like i feel like um sometimes at the end of a pro tools session i feel like i've been like doing my taxes on a spreadsheet mentally or something whereas i think about like i mean i guess you and i did uh jared's 
last Jared Dickinson's last record when we were in the UK and that was all on tape and it was so relaxed like we would come yeah. in we'd do a couple takes that was, we uh, were like living next to the studios you just walk back up to your room and like hang out for a while and yeah it just I'm blanking on the name oh Ready the Horses Ready, Ready the Horses which is a great sounding record but that yeah. was recorded fully analog two inch tape oh. I forget if it was 24 16 track but that studio is insane they have yeah, the I, most ridiculous. I was gonna ask you though, there. you know, is there a reason you're you're printing the Chris Casper records, you know, multi-track tape console to Pro Tools versus your two-inch machine? Because I saw you have a two-inch machine. Sorry, uh, uh, two-track two track machine. The, the JH110. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, at the time, uh, that that is a recent acquisition. Um, all of my mixes now do go to the not not all of them. But a good portion of my mixes will go to the quarter inch. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason we did it now, so this is an interesting part of the process. I do, like, like I said before, I don't feel like Pro Tools is a bad thing. Sure. I'm not knocking that technology. As a matter of fact, I love it. It's, it's really great. It makes my life easier. I can get work done pretty quickly. Totally. I can turn things around much quicker. Um, the process that we went through in mixing those first sessions and, and the process that I use now pretty pretty regularly, um, when the playback is happening, I have the ability on the Harrison to print the direct outs on the Okay, on I the see. Channels so you can well. kind of rebuild your mix. I don't have later. a recall. I don't have automation on that console. Sure. So my automation trick is to print not only the mix but also all the individual moves that on each sense. fader. And um, that, gives me, that gives us the ability to go back and make some slight adjustments if needed. Sure. Um, that's the, that was the reasoning behind that. And that's pretty cool, too. I, it, you know, I always questioned whether that was a legitimate way of doing it, but it totally is, and it works great. You, know, you, you mm. already have the sound of it. It's going to be reproduced digitally anyway, so... Why not take advantage of that, you know, yeah. and use it to our, our best our, our best abilities. So yeah. yeah. I mean, and as much as we would prefer to just dial in the mix with everyone in the room and sign off on it, there's always a Dropbox link and somebody commenting <laughs> oh, on yeah. something. It's just <laughs> necessary evil. Oh come on, that's part of it. <laughs> you know, it's but you know, and I did that really for me. You know, yeah. I I take pictures of the settings and all that stuff, but it never it, it never, never comes back. It, it doesn't. Works. No, yeah. it yeah. never comes back the same. Not like it does when you open a, a session back up. Yeah, totally. And so my idea was, well, you know, and Chris is out of town, so I was like, well, it's not. Yeah, like he's he lives up in in Philly. Okay. It's it's not like he's gonna. I think Philly, right? He's like outside of Philly in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, somewhere. that's right. Yeah. Um. So it's not like he's gonna be able to just, you know, hop on over and let's load the mix up. Right. You know, and it in mixing in that way. As you know, you guys both know, it takes it takes some time setting that stuff back up. You got to repatch time. everything, and, yep. mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a process. So, you know, I was trying to make my work on the back end a little easier. And it in yesterday, as a matter of fact, we pulled up a couple of tracks and we overdubbed to those those mixes. And yeah, done. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Real easy. Super cool. Yeah, it, it's it's a lovely way to work. Yeah, you know. Um, do you have uh? Any final thoughts or no comments? I think I'm good. I think that was that was really some good nuggets. Great in there. start to the day. Yeah, <laughs> very satisfying. Totally. Um, 
Well, there you have it. Brooke Sutton at the studio at Nashville. Book your next session here because this place is the shit. And <laughs> Brooke is the shit. And uh, it sounds very good here. Uh, Brooke, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, JP. Thank you, Chris. Thank coming you. On the show. This is fun. I, I, yeah. I, Maybe I you didn't should know what just to be expect, the, but this is cool. Should you be know? the third member of our podcast. Right. We'll just keep adding. Oh, man, just keep adding. Every week. <laughs> Call me up. I'm down. It's cool. Let, let me ask you this real quick. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess if people listen to the show, you know, message us if you want us to try to interview someone, especially if they're in Nashville. But like, do you, do you have some engineers or producers that you really look up to that maybe That's we should try question. to get on the the show? Not to put you on the spot, but oh, I mean. If you can get Trina on, that would be pretty yeah, amazing. I mean, yeah. she's, I mean, she's, she's the best. She's yeah. awesome, uh, in my in my opinion. Um, Vance Powell's great. Um, there's a couple of other engineers. Uh, Dan Davis is mm. really great. Um, you know who? Tell you who I think would be really interesting to talk to is Will Tyson. He's also another engineer. Will's here. awesome. Oh, yeah. and he's got he's got a lot of great insight on the technical aspects of equipment. He's also a fantastic engineer and very. He's he's also very much into uh, ethereal sounds and how to capture, you know, those right kinds of moments. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, guys, should talk to Preston. Preston, yeah, for yeah, sure. that'd be we super gotta get cool. Preston on the show. Pre- for sure. Preston is uh, he's great. He's funny, and he has a lot of things to offer in terms of you know how gear works. Um, how it all translates, what the process is like in building a microphone, like what yeah. are all the pieces and parts that are involved, like why does a, why does one transformer sound one way, why does it, this one do the other, what do the voltages do, like right. I, I think for your listeners it might be kind of cool to understand the inner workings of, of a... Well, and for us too, I mean, are. you know, we talk a lot about sound, but I don't know how anything works, I, I mean, either. I can't even solder, so... <laughs> yeah. I know. mean... You know, it, but at the end of the day, it is about what we hear. Yeah. You know, is what we're listening. To, uh, somebody, Jono said yesterday. You know, listening back to some of those sessions, like the drums just sound pleasing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, why is that? Yeah. Right. Um, and that was something actually I wanted to talk about earlier. You know, about mm-hmm. the console versus the the box. You know, all that stuff gets smoothed out all of a sudden. It's right. Yeah, it does. And that's such a thing on drums. I mean, even. I was listening to. I had like a real dark side of the moon phase a couple months ago. I love that. It's yeah. so and, good. And um, Alan Parsons, who engineered it, is not a. I don't think he wanted any compression on the drums, yeah. but it was on a 16 track, I think Ampex or something. And it's like the transients, you know, it's punchy, but it's not like. It doesn't hurt like Pro Tools punchy does. You don't get fatigued by it. Yeah. Mm. I can listen to. I can listen to Pink Floyd tracks all day long yeah. and never feel tired by it. But if I listen to something more modern today, I get tired. Of yeah. Yeah. It's not that I don't like the song. I just I can't take well, it Well, and the, the over-compression thing, too, is really fatiguing. Yeah, you know, the thing about the 16 track is that, uh, you know, I like to print pretty hot. You know, I run the machine at plus six. I'm going over that sometimes, honestly. Um, and, and I do that because there's a natural compression that takes place yeah, there. Absolutely. Yeah. And that compression sounds more pleasing to me than an LA2A cranked up real high. Mm-hmm. You know. But yeah, especially on drums. I think. Yeah, I mean. That wins every time. I love compressors. I print with compression. I print with EQ. Um, but there's something about utilizing uh, certain limitations of equipment that right. make it sound right to me. Right. Yep. Um, 
you same thing with like using a neve a neve uh preamp you know you you load up those you load up that transformer yeah. you get that beautiful distortion that comes out of it and it's really cool yeah um, I don't have to add that. It just happens. You yeah. Know? And, and right. if it sounds inspiring, then the singer's going to make that happen. Yep. Yeah. You. And that's the other thing. When they're hearing it back. Right. I remember uh, on the Rivoli record we did, Chris the Bethay, the engineer on that, was like pummeling her vocal with that, uh, what was it, CL1B, uh, C? That, 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 what's that thing called? The big the, blue the, one. The, the tube tech. The, the tube, tube tech. tech. Yeah. And then I played the CD release show with her, and she was like, asking the same, like, can I get some compression? Like, she loved singing into that. Like, she I gotta sang say, different. that vocal change, like, that whole session for that whole week, I was <laughs> just like, out, I was yeah. like, oh my God, that compressor, like, yeah. the sound of that compressor, literally, I, I like, I don't know how to say it. I'm trying to like think of not using the word butter, but it literally just no, felt like I was swimming in a bath of butter. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, so cool. Good. And he was he was slamming that I mean, vocal it was like, like 10 dB or the something. The only way to say like it was just like you know, I'm holding up like two, three inches with my finger. Like it, it wasn't even a dB amount at that point. It was just no, like he was as far as it went. It. Yeah. It and she sings really, really soft, and it was just getting all those nuances. It's, oh man, that it compressor good. sounded so good. On I know. And session. then I went to try to buy one, and they, it was like supply chain stuff. They like didn't have a yeah. key part. I haven't checked in a they're while. Like, it's still, it's still, still and used. Like they're now like two, three thousand more than they are new yeah, they're because so they're. But you know, God, that rare. thing! Oh my God, I still think about that compression yeah. sound. It's yeah, ridiculous. I, I think I think the gear works in two ways. It either is transparent, and and the musician doesn't feel it, you know, and they and they're inspired by what they're doing, or it's making a sound that makes them perform a certain way. Yeah, right? and finding that balance. That's you know, a great way to put it's it. It's a very personal way. It's a very personal thing with the with the artist and the song, and you know, obviously, you got to make the right choices at the right time. Sure. Um, you don't want to get in the way of the song, but sometimes it's part of it, you know, and that, that has a big part to do with how it comes across. Um, you asked me earlier about Alabaster and all that. Those initials, I know we have, I know we have limited time, but those, those sessions, they weren't using headphones. Yeah, that's, that's another, a, that's that's a, a something, huge that's thing. That's a whole, we can have a whole day yeah, on, the, on, headphone, on monitoring you know, uh, and how that works with the musicians. You know, we put these headphones on, and we're in a different world. It's right. a completely different thing. Um, and I'm very sensitive to that. You know, as a as a musician, I don't like feeling like I'm constricted unless I want to be. Right. Sure. You know? Chris went down some some deep dive on headphones like a year ago I or did? something. Yeah. Do you remember? Um, you ha you were was talking it the about polarity thing? the polarity yeah, when like you're singing into headphones. For, I thought this was very for interesting. For vocal, you know, I was playing with the the polarity function on the mic preamp and realizing, like, oh, there is a drastic difference one way or the other. I didn't get quite into you know getting one of those you know phase adjusters or something, but it's like, man, if if it's flipped and they're hearing it out of sync with the polarity of their body. Like, their voice is going to be thin, they're going to be struggling, you know, they're, now they're taking an ear off trying to hear, and it's like... Basically, the idea is when you're singing, you're hearing a sound that's coming from the vibrations in your skull, but then you're also hearing the sound of a slight delay from the music coming in through the headphones. Yep. Well, and, and your sound is traveling away from you. 
Right. And so then, then the, it's hitting the mic and it's like you're hearing the reverse. So it's unnatural. Yeah. yeah. It's it's unnatural either way, but I think it's a little bit better if you um you flip it, you know. That's but, a, I've never tried that. Um I've done I've done the routine where I've taken the headphones off and I've used two speakers yeah, and flipped done them that too. And that that's kind of fun. That's a good way to do it. Um especially if you have enough rejection. Yeah. But um one of the things that I I've, I've been doing for a long time now that I feel like kind of gets us away from that is to use a, 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 a tape slap mm. um, because not that you're not listening to what you're singing but I, th- I feel like when you hear your voice come back to you in that way it's the right kind of, of effect sure that's um, cool yeah not a big washy reverb or something but just yeah, enough to kind of sink you in the track and that, not feel like you're floating above it exactly um, you know even in jazz sessions, when I have jazz singers come in, you know, they tend to like a little bit of that width. And, and that's what it does, is it kind of gives you the width of your voice back a little bit. Because we're talking in this room, I'm hearing my, I'm hearing my voice come off the back wall. Yeah. You know, that's a slap. You know, that's right. normal. Right. Because it's coming back to me a little bit later. Yeah, it's like that loss of early reflections. Is the whole thing with headphones is weird. Like, it's like when you play an outdoor gig... Like, if you play, like, a wedding or something in a field, it just sounds so bizarre because it's not bouncing off anything. It's funny that we're talking about this because one thing I really struggle with as a musician is, and this goes even more so with slide guitar for some reason, if my amp is in a booth and close mic'd and... uh, I'm, you know, I'm monitoring on headphones. I, I can't do a decent take if there's no... And I think it's the early reflection thing. If if all I'm hearing is that close thing, especially with slide playing, it's like, I just can't do it. Yeah, you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't work it's quite really, the same. It's really, really difficult. Let's, Let's see, see who, we got here. Who, we are, some who new visitors. our next guess is. Welcome to the show. It's Oliver Wood on season two of Music Production Talks. What's up? And Ted Peccio. What's up, buddy? What's up, guys? How's it going? Nerds. Totally nerding out. Absolutely. I like that hat, brother. I want a big ball on top of my hat. Well, yeah. Well, I know that we, we all have things to do. We got to get going, but I just want to tell you both um, how much I appreciate having me on. I love listening to this show. I think it's awesome. Oh, sweet! I didn't so, know you uh, listened. Oh, absolutely. Sweet. Yeah. So for those out there, tell your buddies and your friends and your family members and your children. Yes. <laughs> listen to this podcast. Your non-musician <laughs> friends. They'll love this. No, it's great. I, yeah. I love these talks. I, I could do this probably all day. Yeah, yeah me too. Super uh, fun. I, I totally could do but it. But I don't know how much the nerd factor would run anybody off. <laughs> I think the people that listen to this are I probably think, pretty geeky. I yeah. think they're into it, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I hope, it, I hope that what I had to offer has some value. It's been great. This has yeah, been so totally. much fun, Brooke. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, and uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. All right. So long.
Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Music Production Talks. If you're enjoying this podcast and are finding it to be beneficial for your growth as a musician, we would really appreciate a subscribe and a positive review on whichever platform you use for streaming. Reviews and subscribes help us grow the show and rank higher in podcast search engines. Thanks so much again, and we'll catch you next time.